three, two, one. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make... all the advantages. It's easy. Welcome to Aggie Warpod. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, senior writer of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, texasfootball.com, and the Republic of Football Network. Joined, as always, by former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman, Jay Arnold. Jay, I was thinking about this intro. I always say former defense or fighting Texas Aggie. Is there a former fighting Texas Are you always a fighting, always a fighting Texas Aggie? I don't, I don't want to offend anybody out there with my <laughs> language. Yeah, uh... uh... I think it's still former defensive lineman. That works. Okay. Okay. Uh, I know there's like some, what is it? Like, uh, there's no such thing as a former Aggie. It's like former student or something. What's yeah, Aggie that? Aggie? Yeah. I didn't want to trip into anything that was like a Texas A&M lingo that I was breaking. I, I don't want to break any rules here on, on the Aggie war pod. Uh, you definitely are a former defensive lineman. I do not enjoy your chances of getting into the too deep. If you were still on that roster at, at the current <laughs> state. No, yeah, like I, I joked with uh, some teammates the other day uh, from my playing days, and I was like, guys, y'all might have got recruited, but I, I don't think I would have been at Texas A&M uh, given the the current talent level that the Aggies have up front on the defensive line. Let's say you couldn't go to Oklahoma, you couldn't go to Texas A&M, but let, let's just keep it at G5, right? Let's, let's pretend that Jay Arnold would be a G5 recruit these days. I don't mean to insult you or any of the G5s out there, but let's say – now, where would you go? Where, where, you know, where, where would you be your two or three big visits that you take? Uh, well, first of all, if I knew what I knew now, I think I would act like actually take advantage of the visits. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, I, I, you know, if I'm group of five, I'm probably going to probably going to focus on the mountain West conference. I like it. I think, uh, I think I'd set up a little border war recruiting, uh, rivalry between Wyoming and Colorado state. I think I'd, uh, go visit both of those schools. And then uh, just to toss in a little bit of fun, I think I'd uh, I think I'd check out Utah State. That wouldn't be a bad one. I, I know a couple of guys that that went out to Utah State uh, through recruiting and stuff. The state of Texas, they had a couple of assistants that had Texas ties. So you know, for a few those years there, they may still. Uh, Utah State was doing pretty good recruiting, kind of that next tier of athlete in in the state of Texas. Some of those guys with traits, but maybe not the the production film um to to get recruited at the bigger level so yeah I, i'm kind of with you in my older state i'd probably pick a college based on uh atmosphere i suppose you know and everything that would fall into that you know co-eds the scenery around there uh the ability to have fun uh more so than like i, I think i just chose out of proximity honestly just i got in and i just that you know that, that's just where i went to school um on this episode we're going to talk sec media days we're going to talk Texas High School Coaching Association Coaching School because uh, that's one of my, my favorite events of the year. And there was an interesting uh, Texas A&M uh, angle to it that I want to get Jay Arnold's ab- uh, opinion about. And then I'm putting together right now at TexasFootball.com a top 50 most important uh, players in the state of Texas for college football in 2023. Not the best players, uh, but the most important players. I wanted to walk through uh, the top five most important Aggies in Jay's mind and in my mind. 
ahead of the season. Uh, but first, let's do uh, SEC media days. Jimbo Fisher and I think four players from Texas A&M uh, did interviews out there in Atlanta. Uh, first off, the news that it's coming to to Dallas in 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma join is going to be great uh, for our purposes. We plan on being there. That'll be a lot of fun. We'll get Jay out there. Hopefully we can do like a live podcast, get some interviews, uh, have a lot of fun with that. But for the 2023 purposes, you know, obviously the headlines were going to be about Jimbo, Bobby Petrino, how much he was going to say about their relationship, what he was going to say about the relationship. I was there that first day of spring practice where he was kind of non-committal and then was committal and, and waffled back and forth. I was I was super curious as to how he would handle this if he'd have you know more of a prepared statement or or what did we we found out no that's that's not Jimbo's uh, <laughs> mo. I will say watching it back, I was at coaching school so I didn't see it live. Watching it back, it didn't feel as bad as maybe the headlines made it out to be. That that tends to always be true. But what were your thoughts and what are your overall thoughts of this? We'll call it coyness of Jimbo Fisher talking about uh, what he is or what isn't the role of Petrino as offensive coordinator. I think he just, uh, I think he just hates talking to the media. <laughs> uh, That's my opinion as well. Uh, but I mean, he's been saying the same pretty much non-committal statement uh, since the Petrino hire was announced. Uh, and I think even before the Petrino hire was announced, like even before there was a, a new offensive coordinator, uh, hired he was kind of making the same statements of we'll see what happens or uh you know we'll get somebody and it, it's basically a whole lot of nothing which is coach speak for the most part uh i, I just it feels like coach speak taken to the extreme uh just just a whole lot of smoke and and nothing concrete whatsoever I tend to agree with you that this is mostly Jimbo Fisher wanting to have fun and play games, his version of have fun and play games with the media. Like, I don't need to tell you this. You don't need to know. Um, My question to you would be, he made a point a few times about how most of this is collaborative. And yes, somebody's calling the plays at the end of the day, but the head coach is in your ear going, Hey, let's run the ball or Hey, let's pass the ball. Or, you know, he's in on the defensive meetings too. Uh, First, I guess, how collaborative do you think this stuff is behind the scenes and also, as a former player, would you find this just annoying to have to keep? Because it, you watch Anaya Smith's uh, SEC Media Day uh, interview, and a lot of the questions are about this same thing, right? And it feels like had Jimbo just answered it in the spring and gotten it out of the way, we wouldn't have to talk about it all the time, but it's still a talking point about the Aggie football team right now. And, and the players are having to answer questions. Even the defensive guys were answering questions about it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely two something uh, to that effect that like having Jimbo just come out and say, yeah, Bobby Petrino is going to be calling the plays or I'm still calling the plays and Bobby Petrino is going to have some input. Just giving some kind of definite definitive statement would would decrease the amount of questions about it. But at the same time, like you said, I mean, it's collaborative behind the scenes to what extent I think uh, depends on the coaching staff and, and the head coach. Uh, you know, I think certain head coaches have less input on the, you know, minute details. I think the overarching game plan is going to be uh, a collaborative effort with everyone. But, you know, some coaches may be a little bit less detail oriented as far as what the offense is running. Uh, you know, I mean, I might look at some guys like uh, that, that are more focused on the recruiting side and, and more kind of managers when it comes to 
the actual game plans and, and the staff and you know those guys may have their their coordinators uh run a lot of the the details and and obviously the coach is still going to have some knowledge of what goes on and, and sit in meetings and and make suggestions but he may be a little more hands-off whereas a guy like Jimbo historically has been a lot more hands-on uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball uh as to what the uh what the game plan is and what kind of uh uh, minute details are going to go into a, a given preparation for an opponent. Uh, again, it's it's different stylistically, and I think you know for certain coaches, uh, different approaches are going to work. I mean, uh, I look at what Ed Orgeron did at LSU, uh, right? And you know, obviously, you know he's not necessarily known as the best among the national championship coaches, uh, but if he gets the right coordinators in place, it's pretty clear that you know you don't necessarily have to be the biggest game plan guy to, to get, uh, to have a lot of success uh, as long as you can recruit well and, and can have the right people on staff. I have no doubt that it's usually collaborative in a coaching room during the week that the offensive coordinator, the head coach, the wide receiver coach, the quarterback coach, the offensive line coach, all the combination of those guys are sitting there and, hey, this will work. We like doing this. Our group is better at this. Let's avoid that. I have no doubt that that happens in every room across the nation, as Jimbo said. But I'd imagine on Saturday, most of the time, somebody has the final say. Somebody's calling those plays, and there's a rhythm that you get into. And, you know, the old adage of, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, or if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I'd imagine with offensive coordinators, that's the same, right? If you have two, you don't have one. I don't worry about the New Mexico game. I worry about the Miami game or the Auburn game or the Alabama game or a, a game where the offense uh, isn't playing well. What does that do? Does Jimbo take it over? What kind of, you know, structure is it, you know, during those kind of moments of adversity? And I don't know if we're going to find that out, right? I, I, I doubt we are. It, we would have already known that if we were going to know that. Uh, I guess my question to Jimbo, if we could just choose sir, him, would be how much of a competitive advantage does it really give you to not have Miami know who exactly is calling the plays? Like, I, I don't, maybe it does. Maybe I'm a little naive, but you're going to play New Mexico first. You're not, you don't need a, an advantage there with New Mexico. Miami's going to, hopefully Miami's <laughs> going to watch that tape and, and kind of know what you're going to try to do. I don't know. It just seems like. I always, these coaches, I know all these coaches and they talk all the time and I listen to them and I enjoy those conversations. And one of the things that they talk about all the time is a lack of distractions, not creating your own distractions. And to me, this just feels like an unnecessary distraction when I, I think we all kind of believe Bobby Petrino is going to call the plays when all is said and done on this thing. Yeah. And the flip side of that is the guys in the locker room know what's going on. Right. Like they know that you know, whoever's calling the plays, whatever the playbook is going to look like. I mean, you're during the summer months, especially you're basically studying the playbook, getting as many mental reps as you can. I mean, they're going to have that playbook and you're expected to know that playbook come, come fall camp rolling around for sure. Uh, and you know, you had spring to learn it as well, but that's why I think it, it is a little bit of a distraction, but you know, the senior leadership getting asked these questions, like, those guys are going to have an idea of, of what's going on and it can be a little bit of a distraction in the media, but I think that honestly, if, if they're focusing on, you know, items like Jimbo and, and who's calling the plays, it, it can be better than, than getting questions of like, Hey, uh, you guys were five and seven last year. You know, what, what's going on with that or, uh, some kind of, uh, 
character issues in the off season. I mean, in, in a way it's, it's almost like Jimbo's kind of taking the forefront of the, the, the press, I guess. And in, in, in some ways, I guess this is my, uh, only positive way of spinning this. Uh, it's a fair point. Uh, and if that's what he's doing, that's G. I mean, that's that's a that's a good point. I mean, because they did go five and seven. They did have what 30 players leave the program. They did have a lot of behind the scenes immaturity that's been referenced by multiple people. I mean, Anaya Smith mentioned, you know, did I have to come back and babysit? You know, and, and looking at that, I mean, so you know, clearly there was some stuff going on behind the scenes last year that wasn't great. Um, and so maybe this is the way to take off all of that, you know, to that point, Anaya Smith mentioned as well um, that he's always done better as an underdog and maybe Texas A&M does better as an underdog. In the last two years, there was a lot of hype and a lot of distraction and maybe it was unwarranted, or at least in his mind seemed like unwanted, at least um, hype um, before the season starts. Do you think it's better for this team that they're, you know, you don't, you never want to go five and seven and go through what you went through last year. But hey, we finished with a win over LSU. Nobody believes in us. Let's just go shock the world and go nine and three, ten and two because they have the talent to do that. Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, being an athlete, I think is a lot of time is about creating that chip on your shoulder. Uh, if there isn't one, in this case, I think A and M does have the chip on the shoulder. And I mean, you mentioned you never want to go five and seven, but for some of those highly recruited, uh, really talented athletes, maybe getting humbled like that's a, a positive, right? Uh, it, it's, you know, you get a close-up view of, of what it takes to to really win in the SEC. And it, it's something that if you're just coming in from day one, and, you know, obviously there are certain programs that have that culture, but if you're trying to get that culture established and, you know, you have a bunch of young kids come in that are maybe a little bit confident in their abilities, a five and seven season isn't the worst thing that could happen for a program to to get people to buckle down. Uh, now, obviously, again, you never want to go five and seven. I mean, you should. With the talent level that AM has, eight games should be more of a minimum than than what you're trying to reach. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely something that I've considered as far as having a little bit extra motivation for some of those young athletes. Do you think there's really a quarterback competition? You know, Anaya Smith mentioned he didn't know who the quarterback was. Jimbo Fisher, you know, made a point to bring up Max Johnson when when Kirk Bowles from the Austin American Statesman asked him about Connor Wegman. Where do you stand on on if that's a real quarterback battle or if that's just another way to, you know, you're creating competition throughout the roster? I mean, I I want to say that it's Wegman's job. Uh I firmly believe that, but who knows? Uh I do think that <laughs> You know, Max Johnson did have some success last year, but uh, the way Wegman finished the season off, I just I can't imagine not going back to him uh, once 2023 kicks off. The upside seems to, seems to be more with Wegman. Obviously, you know he's going to have another year after this one, so you're, so you're playing a two year kind of almost a two year contract, right? If you, if you don't start him, you're gonna you risk losing him. Probably will lose him uh, to the portal if he's not the starter this year. Uh, I, it would be a bad sign to me if Connor wasn't, you know, unless injury happens, something weird like that where he misses a lot of camp. It would be a, a bad sign to me if Max was rolled out as as the starter week one. That that lowers my expectation of what this team would be if that's the case. Some of the reason I'm high on AM 
kind of overachieving or maybe surprising people is my belief that Connor Wegman is a really good quarterback when healthy and can, you know, be unlocked with Donovan Green, with Evan Stewart, with Anaya Smith, with with Noah, with, you know, all of the guys, Moose Maha, all the guys that they have over there that can go be weapons. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think when we get into our most important players, we'll definitely see some of that. But yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely – I – I'm also placing a lot of this season on Connor Wegman's shoulders. Uh, spoiler alert for that list. <laughs> and then lastly, before we move on from, from SEC Media Days, Nick Saban today made a lot of news. I don't know if you heard this big news. Carrot cake, his number one favorite cake. He said easy. It wasn't even a conversation. He goes, carrot cake, easy, favorite cake. Where do you stand on carrot cake? I actually, I mean, I like carrot cake. I, it's probably not my go-to, like number one, but uh, it's. I think it's a it's a pretty balanced dessert. I don't want like something that's overly sweet, uh, but I will say that I, I, it's not my go-to. It's not my favorite. Uh, probably my favorite cake, uh, Truth Barbecue here in Houston has a banana caramel cake mm. that is absolutely to die for. Yeah, I don't even know if I have a favorite cake. Probably spice cake, honestly. I'm, I'm. A, you put cinnamon and brown sugar in anything. I'm, I'm gonna go nuts. That, that probably dates back to uh, cinnamon toast crunch cereal and, and just eating. I honestly, when I was a kid, my favorite thing to eat was bread with butter on it. And you put like cinnamon sugar on top of it, put that thing in the toaster, and you had magic. You know, no matter what time of the day it was. So that may be my favorite cake. Here's my, here's my take on carrot cake. In 1925, it was probably a beautiful cake. In 1872, carrot cake was probably excellent just like licorice was and all the other old school candy. It's 2023. There's so many cake. You can go get cake balls. Like there's so many different ways that you can intake cake now that what in the hell are you doing putting vegetables in it? That's just where I'm at with the carrot cake opinion. <laughs> that's how I uh, trick myself into having a healthy slice of cake. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't think that's how that works. I don't think that that's exactly how that works, but I will <laughs> allow you to have that, to have that with you when you're eating carrot cake, to feel like you're eating a helping of vegetables. I guess it does count. As some vegetables, you probably get the vitamins. I mean, maybe uh, who some, knows? Yeah, there's got to be some some nutrients in there somewhere. There's got to be some nutrients in there somewhere. Uh, Jay Arnold, we'll put that somewhere on your tombstone one day. Um, we, I was at coaching school. Coaching school is probably the craziest week of my uh, year, honestly, uh, because I'm not a social butterfly, and this coaching association clinic is that. Like you are in it to win it 16 i think it was like sixteen thousand uh coaches uh college and high school from the state of texas and beyond uh, showed up to houston at the convention center it was a decent amount of fun i got a lot of interviews we'll have nine of the the 13 fbs coaches we had sit down interviews 11 of the 13 head coaches in the state of texas at the fbs level uh, attended the event dave aranda did not because his father passed away uh, last week and they were having the services he's from california so he was back there and did not make it the other coach who did not go jimbo fisher and what i wanted to ask you jay does it matter that jimbo fisher doesn't kiss the ring of the texas high school coaches association in the way that every single other head coach that i've ever known in this state does i think it matters a little bit because uh Texas high school football coaches, uh, there is a little bit of ego there, I think, among the... Uh, oh, the, there's uh, no doubt. There is no doubt some ego there. And that, I guess that is my point, right? Is Does this matter to them or does this matter in real life? Because I know it matters to them. I, I am not convinced that a place like A&M 
his recruiting would say that you don't need it is what I guess my yeah. point would be. Yeah. I mean, I think you can still have relationships with the schools that you want to and then and, and build that up enough to, to survive uh, <laughs> making a lot of Texas high school football coaches mad. But I mean, I look at a guy like uh, like a Matt rule coming in from out of state or uh, a Shane Beamer that, that uh, made appearances and, and seeing guys from out of state come and speak at this just kind of speaks to the the magnitude of the event. So, I mean, personally, I, I would rather see a representation there, but I don't think it's going to matter too much in the long run. Uh, I mean, it, it's always, I just think it's always good to maintain healthy relationships with the, with the people that you're going to be working with uh, in some form or fashion. And, you know, you never know what kind of young coaches are going to come out of the Texas high school coaches association either. I mean, you look at uh, some of the staffs uh, in, in college football now. I mean, guys like Jeff Trailer and, and Joey McGuire, who uh, maybe not young coaches, but coach Texas high school football and are now coaching at programs. And I think there's relationships that are that are built, especially uh, in, a, in a state like Texas, where football is, is so important uh, that, that it, it would be beneficial to be there. Texas A&M, I think, can survive without him going, but it might be helpful to, to to pop in at those types of events. It's definitely helpful if you're not going 11 and one, 12 and 0 and competing for national championships every year, right? Like if he was having the type of success that like Nick Saban or Kirby smart are, then maybe sure you can, you can kind of turn your nose up on it. You know, that 2022 class, that was the first in the nation had 30 commitments. 16 of them were from Texas. He signed a, a good amount of players last year from Texas. He's, he's, He's got commitments from from really good players in the state this year, and there's going to be more to come, right? Like Terry Bussey uh, down south is, you know, tar- or favored there, leaning that way. And so it doesn't seem to be making any his life troubled on the recruiting trail. And so to me, that would be the only reason he would care. And I just, I think we would all prefer it, right? We all want our head coach to be Joey McGuire, right? Or a guy like that, you know, where they're winning football games. Everybody seems to like him. It's fun. You enjoy his press conferences. There's energy up. The media likes him, so the media's writing good stories. Um, and Jimbo, all he's got if he goes ten and two, nobody cares that he didn't sit down with Dave Campbell's Texas football. Nobody cares that he didn't go to THSCA uh, coaching school, right? Uh, that stuff only kind of gets talked about when you go five and seven or when you don't meet expectations. So, like, I think if you're Jimbo, you're going. They owe me seventy plus million dollars or whatever the number is. Like, I don't have to go to these things. It doesn't really matter in terms of recruiting. Like, I don't have to pretend like I care. And that that seems to be the attitude. And I don't think that'll be the reason that he gets let go or stays. And so in his mind, he's eliminating distractions and not going to do things that he doesn't have to do. Yeah, and it's also possible that, like, I mean, I, I wasn't at the event. You can probably speak more to this, but it, I imagine there's quite a lot going on there. And uh, it can be, it can probably be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, and especially with SEC media days coming up, I mean, not that that's an excuse, but uh, there's a uh, a lot of moving and shaking going on. So I, I definitely understand wanting to minimize distractions. It's just weird. I mean, like Shane Beamer talked to it. Matt Brown talked to us, right? Um, who else was there? Matt Rule flew in yeah. to to talk, you know. And so, um, yeah, it's just weird, right? Again, I don't, I don't really honestly think it's on that big of a deal, but I I do think that it's leaning into his reputation of maybe not being a, a, a people per, or one that's great at relationship building. And yeah. so 
my question would be how is that indicative of the culture behind the scenes that like if if he's not good at relationship building in that way is is he good inside the locker room um that to me the talent is there so it comes down to culture and togetherness and all the other you know adages that football players and coaches swear is so important yeah i mean i i don't want to read too much into it but you know there's like you said, a lot of a lot of scuttle behind Jimbo maybe not being the most personable uh, guy out there, and I think that's I, I think it's why he doesn't necessarily like dealing with the media a lot. Uh, I think it's just kind of a personality feature. Uh, I think he'd be happy just just calling football and, and not talking to anyone if if he had his way. And yep. that, you know that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, right? No. Like. It, I'm not one of those media people who like is like talk to us or you, so, you know what I mean? Like go win yeah. football games. That's your main job. We would prefer it the other way. It seems like it'd make your life easier to do it the other way. But if like that's not in your personality, then you know whatever. That's and, and I do think people are quicker to turn on you when. Uh, oh no doubt. When you when when you don't win and also have some of the characteristics they don't necessarily appreciate. And that feels uh, but, to me to be the the number one reason to do that stuff. Like I think most coaches, probably even like McGuire and Trailer, who are, are really pres- personable, nice guys, you know, culture builders, that you know, whatever, quote unquote. I think even those guys would, you know, if given truth serum, they don't want to do a lot of that stuff, right? Like, I mean, I wouldn't either. You know, I don't even want to do half of it, and it's my job. And so, like, I totally get it. Um, but it builds you some goodwill, right? When you go five and seven, and the whole media likes you and is rooting for you and you give them some access, you know, all that kind of stuff. You play the game a little bit. It's harder to write the hit pieces, right? Like I was in, I was at the Austin American Statesman, you know, with Tom Herman and Charlie Strong. I can tell you which one was harder to write negative things about, you know, because, because one was a nice person and one wasn't all that nice of a person. Right. And like, we're humans too. It bleeds into that. And so, uh, yeah. And and then, you know, also with the THSCA, I'd imagine, I mean, you're A&M, so you're always going to be able to recruit, but I'd imagine having friends in that organization is better than not having friends in that organization. And and it doesn't seem uh, like that hard of a thing. I, I do get that his media days was the day after that all would have happened, but he has a private jet and a lot of money and, and, and the ability to get from, from Houston to Atlanta pretty easily. And also he could probably just ask the SEC in advance not to do it on the first day of, of the media tour. So I don't know, this seems like maybe there's family stuff, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I know uh, with his son, he he's missed a few obligations this year for understandable reasons. Um, but you know, you just tend to not get the benefit of the doubt, uh, when it feels, you know, like a continued thing, not like the first time, uh, that he's ever missed something. So, um, with that, let's get into, uh, the top five, uh, most important players that we feel are on the A&M roster. We want to, you want to go like five to one, Jay? Uh, yeah, I think we, I, we can count it down. Okay. Uh, Sorry, maybe have some technical difficulties here, but we'll try to get through it. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 plow through it, edit it on the back end if we, if we have any gaps in there. But let's start with number five. Uh, I'll go first. My number five is as Aniah Smith. Um, when he's not on the field, uh, that Texas A and M offense is is absolutely missing a, a dynamic piece. He can do so many things. He's such a leader. I know you can be a leader on the sideline, but it's much easier to be a leader in the huddle. Uh, he's a Swiss Army knife, kind of on the forefront of the the positionless football stuff. Could maybe take some pressure off of losing a chain in, in the backfield and what he can do uh, at multiple positions. So I have a nice Smith as the fifth most important player on Texas A&M's roster. 
All right. Uh, so I'm kicking it off on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I have Edrin Cooper as the fifth most important player. And I think that's just because linebacker play felt like an area where Texas A&M really struggled in 2023. If this defense is going to take a step up in the run game, I think linebacker is going to be uh, a big part of that. Uh, so Edrin Cooper uh, is going to be the leader of that unit in my mind. Uh, we'll see, you know, if he's able to rise to the, uh, to the occasion. And the flip side of that is not a lot of depth at linebacker. So yes. I think it's, he's important because he has to stay healthy, right? I mean, him staying healthy could be a major key in Texas A&M season in 2023. No, no doubt. No doubt. The, the depth of that position seems like probably the scariest depth at any position on, on the football team. If I had to say something off the top of my head. So uh, he was right there on my list as well. Didn't quite make it, but yeah, he's, he needs to have a, a big season or somebody else is going to have to step up there. Uh, number four, I have Connor Wegman, probably maybe not high enough, uh, but he's definitely in, in the top five there. I only have one other offensive player ranked ahead of him just to kind of give a sneak peek, and we can talk about that in a little bit. But we we kind of covered his importance earlier. Quarterback's always going to be important. It's especially, um, you know, in the SEC with a new coordinator coming in and, and trying to be more explosive. A young guy who's gotten some starts, didn't turn the ball over last year, and in a lot of ways will go as far as – the offense will go as far as he goes. The reason he's not higher on my list – is because it does sound like Max Johnson is an adequate backup quarterback who has some talent, who's pushing him a little bit at least. And so I don't know if the season is a dead loss if if, if Connor goes down, uh, but definitely still one of the more important players on the team. Yeah. So my number four spot, I have uh, McKinley Jackson. Hmm. Uh, and this is going back to the, what I talked about with the rushing defense needing to improve. I mean, I think it was 123rd in the country last year. Uh, McKinley Jackson is a big piece in, in if AM is going to be successful defending the run. He needs to be out there on the field. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a ton of talent along the defensive line, and and you know, maybe there is uh, an opportunity where if he goes down, somebody steps up. But I just see him as the the heart and soul of this defense. I think he's going to be the key cog that that makes everything turn, uh, at least in the rushing defense for sure. Uh, and, and that's why I have him at my number four spot. Yeah, I think that position is going to be really important. I have a a person at that same position on the list still to come. Um, I have a number three. I have Bryce Anderson. You know, last year, the defense was kind of Jekyll and Hyde. The, the front seven and the rush defense was one of the worst in the nation. But the pass defense was one of the best in the nation. And, you know, when they, they've had Antonio, Jack, Antonio Johnson at that nickelback slot, uh, who's played really well kind of as a hybrid safety linebacker. I think Bryce Anderson is going to be better in coverage and can kind of provide maybe a little bit more athleticism and upside uh, at that position. He's going to, you know, continue to need to get bigger and be the run support uh, that that Antonio was. But still, I think he can be a really important player in in today's defense. It feels like that's kind of the money spot and one of the more important uh, positions on the team so his his maturity his evolution and his ability to become an a-plus all-conference type player could really unlock the secondary and the defense as a whole in my opinion yeah uh, so my number three i also have a bryce but i have bryce foster uh so bryce foster at center uh look when when he was absent last year due to injury i think a&m's offense struggled uh, I mean, they struggled the whole year, but especially when Bryce Foster was out. Uh, I think Bryce Foster staying healthy is a big part of making this offensive line tick. Obviously, your your center is the quarterback of your offensive line, and you know we've been just kind of waiting for him to have a fantastic season. He's had some uh, some good success when he's healthy, but 
we're waiting for him to just kind of take that next step. And I think if Bryce Foster does that, uh, it, it's going to be a major key to a and season being uh, the difference between, you know, like a, a seven, five, eight, and four to a, a nine and three, 10 and two type year. Uh, so Bryce Foster, number three on my list. Yeah. Bryce Foster, number three on your list. Number two on mine. You know, I, I think he's, he's uh, obviously a really important player to that offense. As you mentioned, you know, that you could probably dig into the numbers and isolate when Bryce Foster was on the field and when he wasn't based on production, their ability to move the football. He makes everybody around him look better, you know, because he's taken off some of that responsibility in the middle. He's putting them in good positions, making the right calls. You know, he emerged as a freshman and looked like a super, you know, like a three and done all conference type player center that was going to, you know, change the offensive line at AM or at least continue the dominant play of, of the Texas AM offensive line. Uh, and then last year, he just kind of had a bunch of things go wrong. You know, he was sick at fall camp, as, as uh, Jimbo mentioned at SEC Media Days. When he got back healthy, he was a little out of shape because he's a big dude and hadn't been able to, to kind of get out there and do conditioning because he had been sick. And then you get injured, as you know. You know, the more in shape you are, the harder it is to get injured, right? You, you're kind of working yourself in shape, and that that's when you, you know, can get injured. And so just kind of, you know, hurt, you know, and, and injured for most of last year. If he can be healthy, the interior of that offensive line should be really good if they can get some tackle play. All of a sudden, that becomes a, a goes from a weakness to a strength. So Bryce Foster also really high on my list. Yeah, and you talked about tackle play. Uh, my number two here is Ruben Fethery. Uh, I think that tackle play is going to be a major key uh, to to what AM does. And, you know, obviously I have two offensive line back to back, but I think that's just kind of an area that, that AM really needs to take a step forward. And, and Vathory is another guy that, that came in as a freshman and played quite a bit, uh, but he needs to take that next leap. Uh, one thing that I see as a defensive lineman looking at him in pass pro is sometimes he bends a little bit too much. Mm. Uh, kind of reaches out and, and and I think it got him in trouble at times, especially in that app state game. Uh, it's just, again, I'm, I'm nitpicking here, but uh, he needs to take that next step and the tackle play absolutely has to be better. If Texas A&M wants to improve on offense. I mean, all the play calling in the world doesn't matter if you don't protect your passer. Yeah, no doubt. I saw his dad in Houston. You know, he's a he's a high school coach, basketball coach. Um, and, you know, he you know, he was pretty frank about it. Like they got to get better. They've been pretty locked in the offensive line. Uh, you know, he was helping to move into kind of a new house with some teammates and stuff. And so uh, it sounded like, you know, they know that that their that their improvement or their ability to live up to the hype of, of their recruiting nature, just their their upside. Right. Like if they can reach their ceiling more, uh, this offense has a chance to be really good because there's not many holes. Uh, around that that group right they have the skill position players to play with anybody in the sec if they can win at the offensive line my number one most important player is walter nolan i i he to me probably the most talented like the most he's the most physically gifted player on on the roster like he he's a freak of nature just looking at him is like oh my lord like you shouldn't be that big that fast be able to do that much if he can live up to number one interior defensive lineman coming out of high school. Like if he can be a top five interior defensive lineman in the nation uh, this next year, which I think is his, his ability, all of a sudden Edrin Cooper's flying all over the place, right? McKinley Jackson's getting one-on-ones. The outside guys are getting one-on-ones and able to get to the quarterback. You're disrupting the quarterback from his face, which we know is like the most disruptive place uh, that you can get pressure. And so uh, to me, Walter Nolan living up to the hype, staying healthy and being the dominant player we all think he can be uh, could change this wrecking crew defense in a way that no other player on the roster can do. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have Walter Nolan on my list, but he was just off of it. I just think I, I place a little bit more leadership aspect on McKinley Jackson, but I, I can't argue with anything you said about Walter Nolan. I think he's extremely important. I know what I'm going to get from McKinley Jackson in a way, you know, like I feel like I know where that's going to be. Like with Nolan, it's like if he if he takes that next step, all of a sudden, like everybody's back. Yeah, I I, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, my number one, and and I kind of hinted at this uh, when I talked about putting a lot on his shoulders, uh, is Connor Wegman. Uh, so, you know, and I hear what you're saying with Mac, uh, Max Johnson probably being a, uh, a quality backup, and obviously Jimbo is hinting that there's still competition. I am I'm putting Connor Wegman as the most important person on my list because I'm assuming that there's not really competition. I'm assuming that Connor Wegman is the starter, uh, and as your quarterback goes, so the offense goes. You know, uh, he's going to be in a little bit of a new system or at least a varied system uh with, with bobby petrino and the talent is there i mean we saw what he was capable of uh throughout the season obviously taking big steps forward uh, but he has the ability to to really change the game he's one of those quarterbacks that i think can make or break a team and uh if if he lives up to what we saw at like lsu at the end of the season I mean, this could be a really special year for Texas A&M, uh, and that's why I have Connor Wegman at my my top spot overall. Yep, you know, pretty similar list. I, I imagine if we went to ten, a lot of the guys that weren't on my list that were on your list would be on there, and, and vice versa. So, you know, a lot of the same position groups as well. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's right around the corner, man. It's like I think there's five week five Saturdays left without college football six until you know week one, but week zero will give us. A little bit of a way to whet our appetite, but yeah, it feels like it's almost here. Media days kind of always feels like that unofficial, you know, kickoff to the season practice starts in like week and a half, two weeks for a lot of the teams. So, you know, almost there to the finish line of what is always a, a hard offseason. Like for me, the offseason starts and it's like, yes, finally a break. And then the magazine happens and it's like, yes, finally a break. And then, you know, about j- mid July, it's like, come on, can we just, can we get talking season over and just start doing football? I'm, I'm running out of like ways to talk about the game without having a game. So I'm excited to get to there. But before football season happens, you got a little bit of a road trip coming up, headed towards Richmond, Virginia, uh, a very pretty drive. Uh, what are your, what's your favorite part of a road trip? What, what, what is it about the road trip that you enjoy the most? I can tell you that I always enjoy the journey there more than the journey home. No, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, honestly, it's just you know, anytime you go on a road trip and, and it's a stretch of road that you haven't been on before, that's uh, it's just fun to kind of see things. And uh, I'm a big fan of nature and and natural beauty in the world. And uh, you you see a lot of things driving that you miss when you fly over, uh, or or at least you don't get to stop and appreciate them when you fly. Uh, obviously, there's some pretty cool sceneries that you can see from the sky as well. But it, it's something about being able to stop, get out of the car and overlook and just kind of take in uh, the topography and, and, and the nature and, you know, water features and, and, and trees and, and wildlife. It's, I just love that about road tripping as opposed to, to flying. Yeah, it definitely gives you a better idea uh, of, of the scenery. And what's I just, it gives 
it tells you a lot about the state and why a state is that way and what the makeup is. Like you just, you can't see it from just the inside of a city getting off a plane and being in one place and then getting on a plane and go back. Like you don't know what Tennessee, if you fly into Nashville, hang out in Nashville four days, get back on the airplane, fly back. Like you haven't seen Tennessee, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, to me, the road trip gives me kind of an idea of like the geography and like, Oh, that's why this state is the way it is. Or that, you know, like this is how, this is how this city became a big city because it's up against the water, you know, or whatever. And so yeah. I enjoy that. And I also really like listening to music. And so it, it gives me a way to where I can just like play an album, like all the way through in a way that, that is hard. Um, I take a lot of road trips for, for work, obviously with, with football season. So I'm, I'm going to have plenty of window time. Uh, coming up because i don't like to fly like unless it's lubbock unless it's el paso or out of state i'm driving because if i got to be three hours in an airport i'd rather be three hours in my car that's how i look at it absolutely and the other thing is air, airplanes just aren't built for people that are my size yeah that's uh, a fair point yeah that's, that's another point. that's another part i enjoy driving and i mean this this trip's going to be awesome going leaving from houston uh the first leg is going to be a long one going from houston to chattanooga mm. uh, in one day uh, but I, I'm going to have some stops planned out, some food stops, maybe get some, some Cajun food in Louisiana. You know, there's a, a barbecue spot in Richmond that I already have circled. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Kind of hoping the weather cooperates because <laughs> I don't really have, uh, the ability to stay for the Monday, uh, if the Sunday race gets rained out. So mm. we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. But, uh, yeah, the purpose of this is go watch a NASCAR race at Richmond Raceway. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I think the anticipation is a great part too. Like I just get so excited when I, I know that I'm about to embark on a journey that, uh, that will see me get down a stretch of road that I haven't been on before. Yeah. Chattanooga underrated city. Awesome place. Uh, Tennessee is honestly, Tennessee is one of the pretty Tennessee. And then like Southern Virginia, like that's, that's about as pretty as it gets. And so, uh, jealous of you excited you get to go it'll be cooler and get out i mean it's not like it'll be cold or anything but it'll be cooler um than it is here houston is brutal man i don't know how you deal with that humidity dude like it's hot here in austin but like i mean i i took 18 showers in four days in houston it was it was insane (laughs) yeah i I tweeted that uh i may have played in the sec but i'm spiritually a big sky athlete yes uh and and a big part of that is the weather Yeah. Although I don't think I could handle the winters either in a lot of those places. So I honestly think that I am more, I don't know, like San Diego state, you know, it's kind of more, more where I would, I would try to go if I was like, you know, a G five athlete, something like that. You, you, you know, I know Cal's not G five, but you know, something, something that gives me near water and and a lifestyle that maybe I wouldn't be able to afford after I was on scholarship. Hell, I probably may not be able to afford it on scholarship. That'd have to be something I looked into. Uh, but like, you know, Miami, you was get that NIL a, deal. you're right. Exactly. FAU, you know, would be up there, you know, hang out in Boca Raton as a, as a 20 year old, right. You probably have a good time. I'd imagine, you know, play some golf and some other things. And so that would be, that would be cool. So that would be, that would be me. I would be looking for like a way to like, cause like, I mean, you know, I, I do a lot of ranch work, been, been on a ranch for most of my life. Like the idea of like being near water and not being like near cattle and 108 degree heat, like sounds nice. I, and maybe this is just the July 19th and me talking right now, but that sounds lovely right now. Yeah. Uh, that's another one that I thought about is uh university of Washington. Yeah. Being up there would be a lot of fun. Uh, Cause you got, you got Olympic national park and uh, Rainier national park, both right there. Uh, when my buddy was stationed there in the coast guard, I mean, on the days that it would get hot, you get it out in Lake Washington and it's uh, that water's nice and cold. 
Yeah. So you can just jump right in and uh, it just seems like a really cool place to be uh, up there in Seattle. You know, most, or not most people, but a lot of people uh, on earth right now, like as soon as you say anything about anything, like politics is such their identity that you can't even talk about regions of the country without yeah. getting into the, but the Pacific Northwest is tremendous. I, as soon as you say that to people, they're like, well, I can't, you know, but like what homeless, you know, all this kind of stuff. But like the Pacific yeah. Northwest is unbelievable. I mean, you can get to the Cascades pretty easily from the University of Washington, which is an underrated national park. Get down to Crater Lake. Yeah, it's, I, I love uh, the Pacific Northwest. If I could figure out a way to like cover the University of Washington in a way that made enough money to live up there, I absolutely would. But I believe the athletic uh, eliminated that position not too long ago. Uh, so clearly that that's not that's not doable. But I would love to live up there in like retirement or whatever. I, the 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 Western Oregon and then up the coastline like that drive. Beautiful. Yeah, it's a dream of mine to to hit the PCH one day from from top to bottom. But yeah, yeah, uh, I'm gonna need a little bit more funding for that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll make it there one day when SMU's in the Pac-12 or something like that. We can figure out a way uh, to do that. So, uh, yep, that'll be that'll be uh, it for us. Um, cruising on along. When are you? So when are you out? When are your when are your vacation days uh, up until Sunday? Leaving tomorrow. Uh, so no, I, I leave on. Thursday morning. It's going to be a quick trip. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, You're doing it. It is, it is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, I will either be back Monday or I will stop at some place Monday night because the last stretch of the journey is wake up in Greenville, South Carolina on Monday. Uh, yeah. that's a, it's about a 13 and a half hour drive back to Houston. So My I'm goodness. Going to elect to uh, stop somewhere along the way. Yeah, I'm gonna do a seven hour drive from uh about seven and a half hour drive from the the coast uh down Port Aransas on Sunday up to Arlington for American uh conference days that 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 next morning. And so I was gonna complain about that, but now I can't because you're doing a 13 hour road road trip. I'm assuming by yourself, which is absolutely insanity. Be safe, uh take a nap, do do any of that kind of stuff uh that you need to do. But uh we will be back in two weeks. Uh, that'll be the first week of August and we'll start uh, doing this thing, you know, once a week as we lead into football season. And of course, uh, during the football season, uh, please go shop at home field, of, uh, home field apparel uh, ha- uh, promo code. Whoop. will get you 15% off of your first order. Uh, any other advertisers out there that would like to join the Republic of football or this podcast in particular, uh, please go ahead and reach me on Twitter or wherever you can find us. And uh, we will talk to you in two weeks when we will be in August and almost approaching football seasons. For Jay Arnold, Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas Football and Republican Football Network, peace.